Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Happy Easter to you. Thanks. All right, cool. If you're joining us online, I'm really glad that you're joining us as well. Death. It's the thing that plagues us all eventually. Every second that goes by, three more people die. Every minute, 180 people breathe their last. Every hour, 11,000 people die. And every day, 250,000 people die. Aren't you so glad that you came to church? (laughs) See... We all assume, many of us at least, many of us assume that after we die, there's something on the other side. Many of us assume that when we breathe our last breath, we experience life after death. But is that reasonable to think? Is that reasonable to believe? Or is it merely, if the belief of life after death, is it merely wishful thinking or even a, a ploy for the weak-minded to sleep at night? Here's, here's what I will propose to you. We can have life after death. We can have the hope of life after death only if death is done. Only if death is done. See, every religion in the world deals with some kind, somehow, some way, dealing with this idea of us dying. But only one actually deals with the problem of death. And that is Christianity, what we follow as Jesus followers. Now, we're starting today uh, a series called Heaven. Because what we have found, uh, researchers have shown that uh, all of us have some kind of belief system about the afterlife. Some of us, we believe that there is none. And others of us, we believe that there is something. But what researchers have found is that individually, we all have these kind of like duct tape versions of different religions and philosophies that are kind of duct taped together. And we kind of make it work and we just assume we're right. But is... The afterlife something we can hope for. If you've ever wondered that and you want to know what scripture says about it, then I'm glad you're here because that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks as we dig into what scripture says about the afterlife. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. But where we'll get to, I want to rewind real briefly uh, the week before. So a week beforehand... Jesus is arriving into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. And as he's getting there, the people who have been following him and who have heard about him, they line the streets of Jerusalem and they are excited because they believe the Messiah is here and his name is Jesus and he is going to come and they are waiting for him to put a smackdown on the Roman Empire who is oppressing them. They're waiting. They are excited. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are pumped and they are waiting. They are saying, oh, he is coming. He's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And no longer will we have these Roman people oppressing us. We're getting rid of them. We are going to be on top again. And so as Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, day after day goes by and they are waiting for him to make his move. And they are waiting for him to make his move. And he doesn't seem 
to be moving. So one of his disciples, uh, his name is Judas, one of his closest followers, decides, you know what, I've had enough. I thought he was the Messiah. He hasn't made his move yet. I'm either going to, I don't know what he was going, what was going on in his mind. Maybe I'll force the issue. Maybe I'll force the issue. Or I'm just done with him. And so Judas sets up a meeting with the religious leaders of the day because what he knew is that the religious leaders also didn't like Jesus because Jesus was not very nice to them because he uh, called them out on their hypocrisy and he was taking a lot of their influence in their society. And so Judas goes to the religious leaders like, hey, I'll, I'll give him over to you. And they set up a deal where Judas gets some silver in exchange for Jesus's location at the right time. And so the week goes on, and they get to Thursday, and Jesus sets up this meal, uh, which we just partook in, uh, where he uh, sets up a meal, the Last Supper, as it is called, and at that point, he tells, he looks to Judas, and he says, hey, I know what you're about to go do, why don't you go do it? And so Judas leaves, and Jesus and the rest of the disciples, they eventually leave, and they go to a garden, and Jesus is praying, he knows, he knows what's coming, Judas gets uh, to the religious leaders, hey, this is where he's going to be going, and uh, they get a posse, and they go and arrest him under the cover of night. And they start to question him. The, the group is called the Sanhedrin, the religious council and the religious courts of the Jewish world. And so they start to question him. They throw out a bunch of false accusations at him. Jesus isn't responding. And they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. And they can't do it because they're under Roman rule. So they take him to the Roman authorities the next morning and say, hey, you guys, this is, this is what he's been doing. Bunch of false stuff. And uh, you guys need to, need to kill him. You need to crucify him. So the Roman government takes him and Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman governor of, uh, of the day in Judea. And so he is dealing with this problem of Jesus because now a mob is starting to gather outside of where Pontius Pilate is and they are shouting for Jesus to be crucified. And, and Pontius Pilate, he's got pressure from Rome, the emperor of Rome. If you get in bad with the Ro- Roman Empire and the Roman emperor specifically, that's not good for you. That's not good job situation. So he's like, I, I got to do something. Because right, the Roman Empire had this thing called Pax Romana, and it meant Roman peace. And so what that meant was they come into your town, they take it over, and they say, hey, we're going to bring peace. Pax Romana, we're going to bring Roman peace to you. So if you got a mob outside, that's a problem for you. And so Pontius Pilate comes up with a solution of what he thinks would maybe solve it. And he, he every year they, they release a Jewish prisoner and release them. Um, and so Pontius Pilate brings out Barabbas, who was a murderer, who you wouldn't want around your kids, wouldn't want around your spouse, wouldn't want around you roaming the streets, a murderer. And, they, and he brings out Jesus and says, hey, you choose. Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus to be free? And they chose Barabbas and they look at Jesus and they crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate, wanting to figure this out and try and get some peace in his space, he says, hey, all right, we're going to crucify him. So Jesus is flogged, beaten, and carries a Roman cross up to Golgotha. And there is where he has his body nailed to the cross on his wrists and on his feet. And the Roman guards who are there, they're the executioners, they are, their job is to make sure people who are crucified stay dead. Like they are dead. Actually dead. And so by the afternoon, Jesus dies of suffocation under his own weight. And the Roman guards want to make sure that he's dead, so they stab him in the side with a spear. 
And it was getting late, and the Jews had this thing called the Sabbath, and they needed to get back home, so they took Jesus' body off of the cross, and uh, one of the members of the, of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, the people who handed him over to the Roman Empire, take his body and put him in his own tomb uh, for him to have his body stay there. And then everyone goes home uh, to observe the Sabbath and to try and make sense of what just happened, because they put their hope in this Jesus. They thought he was the king, they thought he was the Messiah, and yet he is dead. And Saturday goes on, and they've got no answers. And then this is where we pick it up in Matthew chapter 28 on Sunday. This is what it says. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. So they were going there to anoint his body with oil and perfume to to make it to be as nice as it could be. Because of the decay that was going to happen. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Just hanging out. Lazy boy. First century version. And by the way, earthquakes were a common thing in Palestine. Uh, And so this was a common occurrence to have an earthquake, but this was not a common earthquake. So the, the angels there rolled the stone away. He's sitting on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes. This is the angel. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards, the Roman mighty guards, were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. So by the way, uh, angels are not babies in diapers with wings. Angels are fierce. You would be afraid if you see them. And so, so afraid that these mighty Roman guards who were supposed to guard the tomb were in the fetal position sucking their thumbs because they were fearful of this angel. And the angel told the women, so the women arrive, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, all throughout the Gospels, if you read them, you'll notice that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That's a nickname for himself. Uh, going back to Daniel 7, if you want to read that, you'll get an idea of what he's talking about. He's talking about himself as a king. Um, but he says that the Son of Man must suffer and die and then rise again. And the Jews, they would have understood this as, okay, he's gonna, he's gonna eventually die, and then he'll rise again at the, at the resurrection. Which the Jews believe that, uh, after you die, eventually, all, everyone would be, uh, risen, resurrected, uh, to a new body, and, and they would face judgment. And so that's what they assumed. It, it was not in their scope of reference to think that Jesus would die on Friday and then be alive again on Sunday. That's not what made sense to them. The Messiah, it wouldn't have made sense for him to die before he had restored the kingdom back to Israel. It wouldn't have made sense. None of this computed. They did not expect this. But but the angel says, it just as he told you, and it starts to click for them. And then it says, So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they, the women, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings, They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me 
there. So Jesus appears to them, they see him risen, and I I love that Matthew gives us this next detail, this next little story tidbit, because it's like the, it's like the behind the scenes, right, in a, in a DVD menu. It's the behind the scenes, we get a little different angle of the story. I love this. This is what he says. Uh, As they were on their way, so as the women were on their way, and as the disciples were headed to go see Jesus, as they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests, everything that had happened. Uh, After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. So y'all, imagine you're a Roman guard, okay? You get an easy job for the night. All you got to do is stand by this tomb, which already has a stone in front of the entrance. All you got to do is make sure the dead dude don't leave. That's it. And you fail. You had one job. That's it. Done. Can you imagine like the, your coworkers coming into town? Did you hear about Ricky and Bob? Did you hear about them? <laughs> they, they let the dead dude leave. Come on. What? That doesn't make no sense. You're a fierce Roman guard and you gave up. You gave up. And so they start to try and do a cover up. Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. We're we're heavy sleepers. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. From day one, from the beginning of Jesus' resurrection, it's been a story that has been tried to be disproven from moment one. From moment one, it's been tried to be disproven that Jesus didn't, in fact, rise to life. So they come up with this lie, and they start to spread it throughout the town. But think about it. This is what a lot of people even now try to say. That, oh yeah, the disciples, they, they were so convinced that he was going to ra- raise back to life on the third day that they, when it didn't happen, they're like, oh, we better go get his body so we can make up the story that he is in fact the Messiah and he is uh, the chosen one. He's the king. He's, he's the one that we put our hope in. We don't want to look dumb. So let's go and get his body uh, and, and we'll just hide it and we'll come up with this story. How much, how much sense does that make? That they would go after they were afraid for their lives, that they would decide, you know what, well, let's go overpower two Roman guards. Uh, let's roll the stone away. Let's take his body and let's make up the story. Because 40 days later, they start to say, hey, Jesus, the one you crucified is the Messiah. He's, he was dead, but now he's alive again. This is what was told by our ancestors and by the prophets. This is what we were to expect. By the way, this is, this is the Lord. Caesar, And Rome is not Lord. Jesus is. And you know what? They died for this lie that they were pervading and perpetuating throughout the Roman world. Now here's the thing. Many people will die for what they believe, right? They'll die for what they believe. Many people will die for what they know. How many people, maybe a select few, how many people will die for a lie? You mean to tell me that these people made it up, covered it up, and then perpetuated the story? Guess what? We're in Bluffton, Indiana in 2021. Don't make no sense. Us to worship a dead dude. But that's what we believe. What makes more sense to me, at least, what makes more sense to me is that they had some kind of experience on Sunday that gave them the kind of strength 
and conviction to say, hey, this is true. I know it to be true. It's not something I believe. I've seen him with my very own eyes. I've touched him with my own hands. He is alive. He appeared before over 500 people before he ascended to the throne in heaven. This is something that happened. Something transformed these people into martyrs, into people who are willing to die because of what they knew was true. For some reason, they gave it all. For a lie? No. But for what they knew to be true. And so, because he is alive, they realize that their hope is also alive. Because he is alive, they can be alive. Because he is alive, not only can they be alive now, but they can be alive forever. Because he's alive. Jesus is risen. But you may be like me, wondering, okay, that's cool, like Jesus died and he rose to life maybe like okay but so right like why why does that matter if you were like me 12 years ago i'd be like i maybe it did happen what does that mean though i have no idea well paul gives us some insight into what this actually means because there was more happening that day on the cross and in his resurrection than simply a guy dying and coming back to life. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what he's saying is, anybody ever noticed uh, there's both good and evil in the world? You ever notice that? J- just me? Hands? Cool. You've noticed this, right? You've noticed it in society. You've noticed it in your community. You've noticed it in your family. You've noticed it inside of your very own soul. There's this battle of good and evil waging. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem. There's a problem called sin. And what Jesus did to deal with this problem is he took his perfection. He, he lived a perfect life. He was perf- perfectly 100% God, 100% man, never sinned at all. He took his perfect life to the cross. And on that cross, he exchanged his perfection for our sin. See, when we sin against a holy, perfect, infinite, eternal God, it requires a infinite, eternal punishment. And so what Jesus did is only God could do this. Only he could come down and pay the price for our sin, past, present, future, not just you, not just me, but for everyone who will ever live and who has ever lived. On the cross in about six hours, he paid it all. He paid the price for your sin. Never get it twisted. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. There are none, by the way. Forgiven people do. There is no hope. If you want to try and stack up your good stuff against your bad stuff, understand one bad thing is through the roof. You're done. The only hope that we have is that someone else would die in our place. And that's what Jesus did. He exchanged our sin for his perfection. He gave us his perfection. Credited it to our account. He paid the price. He has saved us. And called us to a holy calling. Not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace. It's not according to what you do. Anybody else wrestle with the idea that your worth and your value is based on what you do and how good you do it? Anybody else? Just me? Because this is something I can't get through my thick skull. Uh, every every day I'm wrestling with the idea, oh, well, I don't measure up because I didn't do this right or perfect or whatever. But what Jesus is saying, hey, I see everything about you, the good stuff and the really wretched stuff that you've never told anyone about. I see it. I see you. And yet I still decided to love you and die for you. It's not according to your works, not according to how good you can do. You will not measure up, but he does, and he has given you the opportunity to experience life, even though you've sinned. But he doesn't stop there. Paul also says this, and this is where it gets to what we're talking about in this series about life after death, because life after death is only a thing if death is done. This is what Jesus did. Verse 10, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has, watch this, abolished death. Who has abolished death. Never get it twisted. When, when Jesus got to that cross, it was not the Jewish religious leaders who put him there. It was not the Roman authorities who put him there. It was not the Roman guard executioners who put him there. It was not the mob who put him there. Jesus is the only one who put Jesus on the cross. Because here's the thing. As those nails are going into his hands... He's saying, hey, I understand what's happening. Satan thought he had the victory. He thought when Jesus breathed his last breath that he had won, that Jesus was done. But what we see is that when those those hands are being pierced by those nails, that was Satan playing into Jesus' hand. Because what he wanted to do was to go down into the belly of the beast, into death, and Rise to new life. He took, he went down, defeated it, put the smack down on death, took the keys to death, took the, took the keys to life, rose up and said, Hey, it's all done now. Death is done because he rose to life. And now we can have freedom in his name. And so it doesn't stop there either. Life after death, only if death is done, Jesus abolished death. But then it also says this. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality. Have you ever noticed that anything you've got in this life, including you yourself, is slowly passing away? Just just dwindling. Your, your body, right? You look at me like, oh, that young whippersnapper. Unless you're younger than me, and then you're like, oh, he's old. Um, <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know, even now, it's starting to start. Sarah keeps reminding me of all the gray hair she's finding. They're popping up, apparently, and she likes, it's like her mission to tell me about it. It's fine. It's fine. I just got a 1987 Pontiac Trans Am. Guess what? For 33 years, that thing's been... I'm going to try and bring it back to life. But you know what's going to keep happening? It's going to, it's going to keep on passing away. Anything that you have, uh, your, your, your joints, they're, they're passing away, y'all. Uh, your, your hair, for some of us, is passing away. <laughs> some of us, has already happened. Uh, for, for many of us, our, 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 our everything, the, the earth, is passing away. Everything that we interact with right now is passing away. Nothing is forever here. 
But what Jesus has done is he's brought life and immortality. So this is what this means, is that when we die, if we follow Jesus, he gives us new life that is immortal, that is not passing away. He wipes all the tears from our eyes. He takes all the pain away. No more pain uh, when we wake up. You know, it's like, what did I do? I don't know. I slept. I got up. That hurts, you know? Like, none of that is going to be the case. None of it is going to pass away. We'll have a new earth that we get to enjoy. We'll have new bodies, risen bodies with Jesus for the rest of eternity in the new earth that will not pass away. It is going to stay. It is going to be good. All the bad things, no more disease, no more viruses, no more cancer, no more death, no more goodbyes, because everything will be made new again. He has brought life and immortality to us, because that's what his mission is, is to bring about a renewal of how things always were supposed to be. So, life after death, only if death is done. That's good news, right? Death is done. But Jesus is kind of the expert on this, and he said some other words that I think are important for us to heed and to hear. And so please don't check out on this. I pray that this meets you right where you are. Matthew 7, Jesus says this in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. ACDC was right. Highway to hell. It's wide. It's a mini-lane highway. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Most of us assume that when we die, we're going to heaven. We just assume that. I did. 12 years ago? Yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I? Like, I'm, I'm not, I didn't kill anybody yet, you know? Like, you know, I, I think I can, I think I get to go, right? Like, that, that makes sense. I don't know, I believe in God, like, that makes sense. I just get to go. It's automatic. That's what to, is to be expected. But if we take the expert at his word, and if he really is who he says he is, and did what he did, then we can take his word at true. Like, it is there. You can take it to the bank. You can cash the check. Jesus is saying that the majority of people will not go to heaven, will not experience paradise, will not experience life, abundant life, after death. And many of us, we just assume that that's where we're headed. He says, enter through the narrow gate. There's two gates, there's two roads. Enter through the narrow gate. The, the path to life is a difficult one. How many of you know following Jesus is not easy? Like maybe you thought it was, and yet you realize that even though you follow Jesus, you still go through the valley of the shadow of death. You still go through some difficulties and some hardship. But guess what? Because you follow Jesus, he's with you. So you'll go through hard stuff. You'll go through suffering. You'll go through moments of pain that you that are unbearable. Way too much for you to handle. But he's going to be with you. But he's saying, hey, he even said in another place in scripture, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he will say in response to that, away from me, you evildoer, for I never knew you. 
This is not about checking the box off the checklist to make sure, okay, do I have my eternal life insurance worked out? Did I get that policy? Oh, I gave my life to Jesus. I was baptized. Yeah, I got it. Boom. That's not how it works. Jesus is looking for a relationship, for us to know him, for us to surrender everything to him. And he's saying, hey, this is, this is the truth. And he tells us the truth because he loves us. And he wants us to know what is before us. And so here's the question we all have to wrestle with, myself included, all of us. Do I assume I'm a Christian? Do I assume I'm a Christian? Like when I get the survey in front of me, not Buddhist, not Hindu, not Muslim, I guess I'm a Christian. That makes sense. That's what my family did. I go to church. Do I assume I'm a Christian? Here's here's the truth. Life after death is only possible if death is done. And only through Jesus is death defeated. So it's only through Jesus that any of us have hope. Otherwise, when you die, death will reign in your life. But if you say yes to Jesus, everything changes. The best decision I've ever made was saying yes to Jesus. The best decision any of us could ever make is saying yes to Jesus. I know you've got your maybe hang-ups. Your stuff that you hesitate on. Look, I don't know if Jesus would take me because of what I did. I don't know if Jesus would accept me because I know what I did and I can't even forgive myself for that. I, I, I surely, it's good for everyone else, but I can't go to him. And he will call you to let go of some things. No longer can you be your own boss. No longer can you have the world, your life, revolve around you. He's saying, hey, deny yourself. Take up your cross just like I did. Deny yourself and follow after me. Following Jesus means doing what Jesus did. Loving the way he, he loved. And he gave his life for you. And he is saying, in response to that, you give your life to me. And so many of you have said yes to Jesus. And you know that every moment of every day is another opportunity to say yes to Jesus, right? Maybe you've been slipping, drifting, just kind of walking away. This can be a moment. You just say, Jesus, I love you for you. And this life after death thing that I get after that, after this life, is the cherry on top. Because Jesus wants us to come to him for him. Not just what we, give, what, what we get from him. And so I would just urge you, wherever you are in your uh, relationship with Jesus, allow this to be an opportunity. I really ask the question, do I assume I'm a Christian? I'm not trying to get you to question your faith. If you follow Jesus, that is awesome. And let this be an opportunity to just bask in the glory of what he's done for you. But if, if you're someone, maybe you've been to church for a while... Maybe, maybe this is all new. Maybe you're watching this or listening to this later or right now and, and this is all new. Talk to us. Don't, don't let this moment slip away. Because if you sense God doing something in you, follow him. I was right where you were, right where you are over 12 years ago. It's worth it, y'all. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's amazing. It's peaceful. It's joyful. Even all at the same time.
So, say yes to Jesus. If, if you're one who needs to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, I would love for you to talk to us after service. Talk to me. Talk to, to Mike. Talk to someone you came with who has a relationship with Jesus. Ask them questions. Uh, or if you're not ready for like an in-person conversation or if you're online, you can go to fccfamily.com slash contact or reach out to us through social media and we'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to take that step to surrender to him as king of your life. And so say yes to him. And don't miss next week because we're going to be talking about the misconceptions, the many misconceptions that all of us have about heaven, whether we are someone who believes, you know, hey, I'm a churchgoer, this is what I follow, I follow Jesus. Many of us have misconceptions about the afterlife. Or if you're someone who says, you know, if I ever go into that place where that thing's being streamed, the roof's going to fall down in on me, uh, we all got misconceptions about what life will be after death. So don't miss next week as we continue the series. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray, and we're going to sing out to our awesome God. Father, we come to you thanking you for what you have done for us, but most importantly for who you are, because you are our loving Father, that uh, you look at us, and when we were enemies of yours, you loved us so much that you made a way for us to be your children. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us a hope beyond this life, but we also thank you that you've given us abundant life here, through your Son Jesus, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and you would help us to take the next step with you. To follow after you. God, would you comfort our hearts? Whatever we're dealing with, whatever's heavy on our hearts, would you meet us there? Would you walk with us and show us your glory? Show us your goodness, God. And as we, as we sing out to you, God, you, you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the worship, all the praise. And it's far more than what we can give you right now. But God, I pray that as we sing this song, I pray that it would be a fragrant aroma in, in the throne room to you. That it would be pleasing to you as we sing. God, would you encourage us to sing out in worship to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.